Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories, and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex. Access our monthly newsletter with subscriber only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A T O Z O F S E X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Just a reminder, this podcast deals with adult content, so if you don't have total privacy, you might want to put on your headphones. Today, the letter is V, and V is for vaginismus. Vaginismus is a sexual disorder that involves vaginal tightness, which can cause pain, discomfort, or the complete inability to have sexual intercourse, or all of the above. It is thought to be a result of an involuntary tightening of the pelvic floor muscles, though the woman may not be aware that this is the cause of her penetration or pain difficulties, and there are a variety of other theories as to how vaginismus occurs. Talking about vaginismus is something that happens more often than most in psychosexual therapy, so today I am talking to Kate Moyle, a psychosexual and relationship therapist and co-founder of the Pillow Play app. Vaginismus, although it is not widely spoken about, impacts as many as two in every 1,000 women, but it's still not widely discussed, and many don't even have a name for their symptoms until they see a professional. Kate believes in breaking the stigma around female sexual dysfunctions and that these conversations can really help people get the help that they need. Kate Moyle is a qualified psychosexual therapist working with couples and individuals to help get them to a place of sexual health, happiness, and well-being. She believes in offering her clients a confidential and taboo-free space where they can address their sexual issues and concerns and create a path to change that is right for them as individuals. Welcome to the show, Kate. Why, thank you. What an introduction. (laughs) Well, it's always good to make Um, sure that people know who they're listening to. Well, yeah, I think we definitely, we did that. Um, But yeah, so really happy to be here and to be part of the the sexual alphabet. I'm really glad to have you. I think, I guess I want to start out with the first question, which is how would you define vaginismus? Yeah, so I think for me personally, one of the, the biggest parts of the definition of vaginismus is that it feels really out of control for the person that's struggling with it. So Mm -hmm. It's an involuntary tightening of the muscles around the vagina. And that's not just about penetrative sex. It's about, you know, inserting a finger or using a tampon or you know any kind of intimate care. And it tends to be recurrent and persistent. And um, mm-hmm. that is it's not just a, a one off event. It is a, a continuation of that problem, that involuntary contracting and tightening of the muscles. I, I, and that can. Uh, sorry, go ahead. 
Uh, I was just saying that could have, you know, it has huge effects for people, not just in their sex lives, but in other aspects of their life as well. It's interesting to me because um, I remember first learning about vaginismus and actually the image that we got was that there was a tightening and a shutting and that was it. And that the, the, the whole vagina stayed shut. <laughs> there wasn't this idea like that, you know, that there, that this was an ongoing series of incidents. It was like it happened once and never opened again. And it was a, yeah, exactly. And I think the thing is, is that isn't necessarily the case. And what we know from psychosexual therapy is that there are things that can be done and actually vaginismus is really, really treatable. But half of the problem is that people don't even know that they have it. They don't know that there is a name for their symptoms, that there is, there are other people, you know, out in the world struggling with the same problem and actually that it's a really common sexual dysfunction, as you said in the introduction, you know, two in every 1,000 women. And we suspect that that is an underestimation because of the lack of people reporting on the problem. So, um, if we think, okay, this is a this is quite a common sexual dysfunction over the lifespan. Do you see some people who have an episode that doesn't continue on, or who have previously had no problems and um, a fine sex life, no problems with insertion of tampons, no issues, and develop vaginismus later in life, like around the menopause? Yeah, people do. And, you know, it's it can happen after a normal onset of, I suppose, sexual functioning. But there there might be, for example, a particular reason, a very painful childbirth or a Mm -hmm. surgery or a trauma or um, a sports injury. Or it could be that actually they've had a really difficult emotional experience that then means the next time they go to have sex, that they're feeling really, really anxious and that anxious and that, that anxiety and that tension you know, makes makes them unbelievably tense and unable to open up both phys- physically and emotionally. You know, I think a lot of it is also about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Is a a huge part of it. It's it's a very um, two sided issue. You know, there's the physical, but there's also the emotional, which is so much of it. Now, I mean, I would have I would have assumed that that there's a huge emotional component. But I also I also wonder how that I also think it's really important that women understand that they don't have direct control over the symptoms when they're happening. Yeah, Um, because I think you highlighted that involuntary part of it and that feeling out of control, I would suspect, is probably one of the most frightening bits of this. Yeah. And I also think it's about it's about things like communicating to your partner, you know, that this isn't just a lack of desire or a lack of interest in sex. This is actually something you feel incredibly out of control of. And because there's not very much education around it or not many conversations about it, people are baffled by it when it happens because there's this idea of what do you mean? You know, that that is part of the, the role of penetrative sex. You know, that is part of the role of sex is that penetration is a part of it. And if that doesn't work, that really challenges your definition of sex and intimacy and Mm -hmm. your ability to be sexual and your identity and that is very out of control but again we're back to this idea of we don't talk about those things so if we if our we broke our arm and it wasn't working the way that it should be we'd go and see a doctor 
you know, pretty much immediately. But mm -hmm. when it comes to intimate health and sexual health, then we're much more private and we feel like we can't ask the questions or we feel like we might be doing something wrong or that we should automatically, instinctually just know what's happening. And obviously that's not the case, but there aren't very many people having these conversations mm. that allow people to listen and think, oh my God, that's me. That's what I'm having. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only person that has this. And it's, it doesn't make me the only person in the world that feels this way. I think it's a huge, huge part of it. So what do clients describe to you when they come in? So a lot of people describe it feeling like a wall. So that's a really, really common description. So that, you know, they might be able to penetrate with a fingertip, for example, but then it feels like a wall. And that's because the muscles are so tight. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is often if it's something that's been going on a really long time, obviously the muscles like other muscles in your body, you know, if you work on them in the gym, you're able to develop control over them and tense and release with more control when you're not using the muscles then it's you have to learn how to use them again mm -hmm. so for example someone with vaginismus might see a pelvic physio who might show you how to do your pelvic floor exercises or um you might be kind of asking them to do exercises where they are doing their pelvic floor tensing and releasing you know with a finger in so that they can actually feel the muscles but I think when people come in for appointments, it tends to be this this description of it feeling like a wall or feeling very tense or there's the anticipation of pain a lot of the time. So mm -hmm. the cycle of vaginismus, a huge part of it is about that anticipation of pain because when you're trying to penetrate with something that doesn't want to open, that causes pain. It causes, mm -hmm. you know, you're pushing up against something that feels incredibly hard. And that anticipation of pain makes you tense even more which exacerbates the problem where do you get referrals from for this usually from um lots of different places from pelvic physios or gynecologists doctors a lot of self-referrals as well mm -hmm. you know there's an amazing new website that came up this year um which is called vaginismusawareness.com uh -huh. um, which was created by Shush, the amazing sex toy shop in Hoxton. Yep. Um, and they've got listings of therapists on there as well. So they've got listings of professionals who work with it and are comfortable working with it. And they've also created products to help women with vaginismus, which are pretty life-changing, actually. Well, that's wonderful. Um, I mean, I think a bit, I, if I think back to a year ago, there was nothing, nothing and certainly this is one of the mm -hmm. le least talked about topics, I think. In fact, when I was telling people I was doing this show, the number of women that asked me, what is that? And as I described yeah. and I watched their faces and you could see how many of them have had experience and they didn't know it had a name. It yeah. And I think a lot of women can identify with that, that idea of sometimes having sex or inserting a tampon or something like that, that feels quite uncomfortable, but you can't quite put your finger on why, mm -hmm. or there's pain and there isn't necessarily an obvious reason for it, but they don't ask the questions or they don't stop what they're doing. They just kind of grin and bear it. And I think that that is also to do with the fact that we're not educated on how to ask those questions and things like that. But 
you're right, there weren't really any good products on the market at all to help with this. And I think a large part of that is that the kind of history of this problem is that it was very medicalized and mm -hmm. things like dilators, they were very hard plastic. Um, and the dilator set that Shush have made are soft kind of silicon and they're all hand molded. So there's things like no edges, no seams. So they're wow. very smooth and they're also tapered. So they have a tapered end. So they're not a blunt end, which makes something like penetration a bit easier, a bit more gradual. And that's also, I think, a really, really important aspect because if you're working with a product which you feel more positive about, it makes the process in itself feel a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're looking at you're looking at something, you know, a dilator set that you just are terrified of, of course you're going to be more tense. Of course you're not going to feel easy and relaxed using it. And it's going to contribute further to that problem of tension. Do you think that um, women find it accessible to be able to work with this stuff on their own? Or do you think they do better when they're working in combination with a professional? I think it is an option, obviously, for people to to deal with the issue on their own. I think the added layer of working with a professional helps because it also gives you a platform to talk about, ask the questions, but also to talk about, you know, the good days and the bad days. And it's with anything like this, working through anything that is a process, you're going to have days of low motivation and high motivation. And that can be quite a struggle. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, on those days when you just really, you just don't want to think about it, you don't want to do anything about it, you just have all of that kind of emotional turmoil of dealing with a problem like this and the feelings of anger or, you know, perhaps, I don't know, um, you know, almost infuriation and frustration that being able to talk to someone about that actually can be quite helpful. Mm-hmm. But lots of people are able to do it with a support network of, for example, a partner or reading lots of blogs or reading books or listening to podcasts or mm -hmm. people can find their own support. But I think in general, the process needs support in some way, shape or form. It doesn't have to be a psychosexual therapist, of course. But it makes sense that 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 this would be a process you'd want to encourage to be done with support. I, I think because it's already an isolating condition. Mm, that you exactly. don't want people to feel even more stigmatized and more isolated. So if they're going to work with a partner or they're going to work with a supportive network of friends or with a therapist, that makes more sense to me. And I think also, you know, it's about that vulnerability we were talking about right at the start. It's about having those conversations with someone, feeling more comfortable talking about it yourself because, you know, in a future relationship when you're feeling a bit nervous, perhaps about the first time you might have sex, you can then express in a way that's comfortable for you because you've almost practiced. Mm -hmm. Had some, you know, I was dealing with something before that made me a bit anxious. So can we just take it slow or, you know, can we use some lubrication or whatever it is, but it's about that opening up to someone about the problem, which happens in therapy a lot. Or, you know, it might be a gynecologist that it comes up with first, but opening up to someone about the problem takes away some of that stigma and that isolation and that shame. And you're opening up emotionally to the idea of being able to talk about it. And as you said, for lots of women, it's very unspoken. I, I think, um, I, I think um, women feel inadequate. Women feel inadequate. 
Hmm. And I think not just feel inadequate, but sometimes are told that they are. Yes. You know, I think yes. that that is, that is another part of it. If you have a partner that doesn't understand, not necessarily because they are a bad person or anything, but just because they don't, that it can kick off a whole cycle of things in relationships where partners feel that it's because actually they don't want to have sex or they're not attracted to them. And so, you know, there's a lot of internalizing, internalizing of, I think, fault or blame which doesn't need to happen, but people are looking for a reason. They're looking for a cause. They want to know why this is happening. And, you know, vaginismus is quite complex. It's a psychosomatic condition. So the causes can be completely varied. There isn't a, you know, this happened, therefore this is the result of that. It could be, you know, anything from painful first intercourse or pregnancy, but actually all coming from a background where you were told that sex was wrong or the sex was something you saved for marriage and so your beliefs about sex and having sex don't match up with necessarily being able to enjoy it so, so it's not I, always a physical so root I, of the problem exactly and so i think it's exactly. important to define, so I think it's for you to define psychosomatic. define psychosomatic so that it's the idea of the the brain and the body both kind of combining so it's not a you banged your leg and your leg now hurts that's a physical cause and a physical symptom it could be actually that there is something going on in your mind and your brain and your psychology which causes a physical reaction in the body so that idea that body and mind and brain and psychology are all linked are holistic that's important because i think people hear the term psychosomatic and often think that that means that you're making it up so if it's psychosomatic, it means that there's no real physical problem when in fact there is a, a very real physical problem, but the causes may be coming from emotional conflict in the mind. Yeah, of course. And I think we're moving towards as a society being more kind of pro-psychology. I think we are slowly getting there and people are able to recognize that, you know, psychology does have an impact on the body we look at we see it everywhere you know people who feel good about themselves they get more done they're more productive they have good you know better relationships and they have more energy and we can actually see it all around us if you think about the people that you are aware of seem to be really happy they're they're feeling good and they're thinking good things and it is having a positive impact on their well-being yes and no, no, I just, I just, um, I'm always so wary, wary of using the term psychosomatic, though I, I know what it means and it makes sense to me because that's one that's used for, um, as a kind of a battering ram by some medical professionals around, um, this type of issue around autoimmune disease, around anything that stress can trigger. Mm. It, it'll be said with, a, with a, um, a kind of a derisive tone of voice. Well, this is psychosomatic. Like, you know, get your head straight and everything will be fine. When actually both bits need to be treated, the body also needs help. Yeah. And I think psychosexual therapy is probably one of the places where we are really tackling that head on, the kind of combination of psychology and understanding and education and, you know, increasing that level of comfort with the subject but also the physical stuff so the exercises the bodily awareness the mindfulness the 
getting back in touch with your body, the touch exercises, the sensual focus, sensuality, it's all kind of combined in psychosexual therapy. And that is what makes it the best choice in a situation like this of, of therapy types, because you're actually addressing it in a very holistic way, which is incredibly important. I I also think it's worth saying that more than once because it's hard enough to start looking for someone to see, but if you have some bad starts, that makes it worse. And I think also, you know, psychosexual therapy, the clues in the name, like it's okay to talk about sex here, you know, it's it's in the job title. Yeah. And so you're dealing with people who are ultimately very comfortable about having these conversations. Where would you tell people to go for a first port of call for referrals and things like that? It completely um, depends on the stage of where they're at in the process, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, the COSRT website, so the College of Sexual and Relationship Therapists, mm-hmm. has a listing of all of the therapists that are qualified and accredited. Um, so everyone on there has been through suitable training. But also the Vaginismus Awareness website, I think is great. So that's vaginismusawareness.com. They have a list of practitioners who all also work with um, shush and have kind of been at vaginismus awareness events and things like that but I think also it's the thing about going to a talking therapy first is there's that level of safety and that you know there's no touch element to the therapy Mm -hmm. and later on in the process going something like a pelvic physio or a gynecologist might be helpful Mm -hmm. or you might have a pelvic exam you might have never had a smear test for example Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes doing that as a first step isn't always right for people. Some people will come having already had a medical investigation or a doctor's appointment, or um, they will have had that first. Mm-hmm. But the, the safety in the talking therapy is you know that it's hands off. Um, so there's that patients or sufferers or people struggling with vaginismus can feel that they've got control over that bit. Mm-hmm. They are in control of when they touch or when they start doing the exercises or when they start integrating that into their lives because they're the person in charge of it. And that makes sense, particularly in something like this, that that would be, um, that would feel safer to start where you know that nobody is going to be touching you. Mm. And there are, you know, there's uh, the Volval Pain Society. They do Mm -hmm. different talks and different, um, they've got very good resources. So, but they're also dealing with other conditions um, like vulvodynia, so pain and sex. But I think the internet is an amazing thing in that it does offer people information and access to blogs. So there are people blogging about vaginismus, you know, mm-hmm. blogging about their experiences. The Vaginismus Awareness website has a blog on there, which have got people's stories. So understanding also that you don't have to be alone in your struggling, in your you know, suffering of this, that there are other people going through it and reaching out for help is something that is possible. Mm-hmm. So there's quite, there's actually quite a bit of support out there. Mm, I think we're getting there. <laughs> still, We still need more, obviously, but, you know, there are, there is more and more growing knowledge. We'll always need more. Mm, mm, and I think, um, There are, you know, so I was listening to a podcast the other day um, 
not dissimilar to actually to this one, but it's by Alex Fox, who's a sex journalist, and she made a um, podcast called Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. And one of her episodes was about vaginismus, so it had an interview with someone who'd struggled with vaginismus. So people are having those conversations and talking about their own experiences, which in turn will help other people with theirs. What are the most important things treatment-wise you think um, people should know? I think that they should know to take it slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, the first stage of penetration might be with something smaller than a little finger. It could be something like a cotton bud. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say lubrication is key. So using a product like the Yes Company, Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, organics have amazing lubricants that don't dry out. They're completely organic, completely natural. So there's no chemicals in them that might exacerbate any problems. Mm-hmm. I think that's also something to be really aware of. Um, but also that taking your time and things like all body, all over body touch. So not just rushing straight to the penetrative exercises and, mm-hmm. you know, Allowing yourself to relax and to feel relaxed is a huge, huge part of it because trying to do any, you know, penetrative exercises where you're actually trying to physically stretch the, mus- stretch the muscles and you're feeling really tense and it's, it just makes the problem worse because you're pushing tension against tension. Whereas if you're able to relax or, for example, have a really nice bath or you know, put some music on or give yourself a massage or whatever it is, but almost warming up the body, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. relaxing the body in order to be able to back to that body-mind connection as well for you to feel a bit more relaxed, that you're making it a nicer kind of softer environment for yourself. Things like taking a few deep breaths and allowing yourself kind of feeling that in your body. But I would say the dilator set from Shush is amazing mm-hmm. and you know really affordable as well and you can go there and talk to all of the staff they know all about vaginismus they've dealt with lots of customers um but it's i think lubrication is a huge huge part of it as well it makes everything a lot easier it makes everything you know that if you're if you're dry if you then it's going to cause friction which is going to hurt more right and so the yes products are, I think, some of the best available. I like what you especially. Mm-hmm. I like what you're saying about relaxation and and remind people that you know, good sex usually has some foreplay. So mm. that the whole point of foreplay is is eroticizing all of you as opposed to just focusing on particular parts. And so it's it's the same. It's a self love process here. Yes, you're having to do it therapeutically yeah. because you've got a problem, but it's still a whole, the whole thing is a self-love process. Absolutely. And, you know, we know that full play works because it allows, it gives the body time and the mind time to build arousal to, but, and then also that wanting, that desire, it's, and for women that that process takes slightly longer than men. So that slow building of arousal and desire in the body not only prepares the body to be sexual but also the mind and allows you to get into that kind of safe space Mm -hmm. 
And I think also it's about, you know, people that have vaginismus aren't necessarily not orgasmic. So it might be that people are able to masturbate, but it is purely externally or it's just clitoral stimulation. So also it's about creating a positive relationship with your body and your vagina and your vulva as well, that a lot of women with vaginismus struggle to have that positive connection, understandably, because it's not, they don't feel their body is the way it should be, or Mm -hmm. they can have sex the way they want to, or to be sexual. And that getting back in touch with your body and moving away from a penetrative model of sex, which encompasses the whole body down from, you know, running your hands through your hair to the back of your knees to Mm -hmm. playing with nipples or your neck, whatever it is, helps to build positivity, helps to build that positive connection. That's brilliant advice. Um, Can you tell the listeners where they can find you and about the sorts of things you're doing these days? Yeah, so the sorts of things I'm doing these days are, I've got my practice, which is in central London. So that's um, www.katemoyle.co.uk. And I'm also a part of a practice called the Thought House Partnership, which is the thoughthouse.co.uk set up with a fellow psychosexual and relationship therapist, uh, a lady called Rima Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And then also Pillow Play is what started as an app is intimacy exercises for couples and actually can be really useful for people with vaginismus um, because it's not about sex. It's about intimacy. It's about connecting. So what we see in lots of couples where one of them is struggling with a sexual dysfunction and it could be the other way around it could be the male partner for example is struggling with his erections is that they tend to also lose elements of their intimacy because they're too anxious to have sex so they move away from anything which might lead to sex which might be cuddling or kissing or foreplay for fear it might lead to sex and then for fear that they'll struggle with this struggle with the sexual issue Mm-hmm. And so that lack of intimacy is actually what tends to have a really negative effect in relationships. And lots of the episodes on pillow play are about connecting through eye contact or communication or mm-hmm. sensual touch or massage or, um, you know, memories, whatever it is. And they're audio follow along. So they encourage mindfulness. There's no pressure to suggest anything or be anything or do anything you press play, listen and do. And so it's kind of like Simon Says, I suppose, for intimacy. Um, um, So, and we've got a, I don't know, should I say this now? We've got 25% off, uh, special offer for your listeners. So the website is www.pillow.io. And if they purchase the program, which at the moment is a 30 day intimacy kind of shake up, I suppose, and they use the code A to Z of sex, they get 25% off. That's brilliant. Really, we want people to, well, we love the podcast. We want people to be, you know, hearing about the podcast as well. But it's about encouraging people as well to look away from their phones and actually nurture their relationship for as little as five minutes a day. We all rush around, we're so busy, and we forget to nurture the relationships that are just right in front of us we forget to compliment or love and we just assume that they're there so important so so important and and i mean one of the things i loved is is that it is you know it really is you know push and play 
and and it doesn't require um, lots of preparation as some as some of the things that um, focus uh, do intimacy building do. Um, it doesn't require lots of thought. You just do what it says on the tin, you know, <laughs> that works. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and that's so essential because, because our relationships need work just like anything else. You know, I go to the dentist, yeah. I go to the doctor, I do maintenance on my body. I, you know, I do maintenance, personal development on my mind. Why would I think that I wouldn't need to do maintenance on my relationship? And I think, you know, we hear in the media all the time, relationships, you know, long-term relationships, people stop having sex or, you know, that long-term relationships break up or they get boring. They don't have to, you know, the thing we're talking about with pillow play is it takes as little as five minutes to reconnect. And it's through something really simple, like gazing into your partner's eyes for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Everyone can take five minutes to connect with their partner. We connect with friends and family all the time with colleagues. You know, we think if we haven't spoken to our sister for two weeks, we're like, oh, I must give her a call. We're nurturing those relationships. And the thing is, I think we just forget to nurture the runs right in front of us. We forget to, because they're always there. They're present. And that's, it's, and that's the sad thing about it is it's, and I think that especially in the world we live in where there's so much technology, we spend so much time looking into our screens that we're not actually looking at the person in front of us. And that was a huge motivation for why we made the um, program, you know, the product in the first place. Yeah. In terms of people with sexual dysfunctions or, you know, with problems like vaginismus, it takes away the anxiety to have to try and have sex. So Mm -hmm. the whole point is we're saying, you know, do the episodes, do the touch, do the eye contact, do the communication, but you don't have to have sex. It's, self-contained in itself it's useful in itself it connects the two of you you know as a couple just within itself there's no pressure for it to be a precursor for something Mm -hmm. else it doesn't have to lead on to something else which is a really important message um that that not you know not all intimate contact has to lead to sex of course exactly but we live in a culture where it's all about sex and not about now, intimacy. Well, yeah, it's it's about sex and not intimacy, but it's also part of that is about immediacy um, and everything has to happen now. People don't delay gratification. They don't learn how anymore. Um, mm. And that's because everything is very immediate in, in, in our society. Unlike, um, it's got, this ages me, unlike when I was growing up where you had to learn to wait because you know, if you wanted to see something on the television, it was on once a week at a particular time. There was no way to download it. There was no way to get it immediately. And it was much that way for all things. It Learning to wait was built in. Mm. Now things are f- much more rushed because we don't learn that. It's a skill. Yeah. That anticipation, building anticipation is a skill. Mm. And we live in a, you know, a world where everything is very available and actually the sad thing about that is it makes things very disposable as well yeah yeah thank you so much for being with me today this has been absolutely brilliant well thank you so much for having me on and for um helping me have these conversations about vaginismus that are so important for us to have my pleasure i'm sure there will be more of them Thanks for joining me this week for the A to Z of Sex. Please write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at 
a to z of sex.com. That's a t o z o f s e x.com, or for the Americans, it's z o. Visit both websites, www.a to z of sex.com and www.the intimacy coach.com, to learn about alternative sexual choices, types of sexual relationships, and to learn to sizzle and create that ideal, lasting, intimate relationship. For a free 30-minute session with me, do head over to a to sex.com and click on the button that says book now. Please join me next week when the letter will be W. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. To subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.